Greetings and thank you for continuing your journey with the Lionhead Gaming Heroes of Thylia podcast, our mythical Greek D&D adventure where the players know they are the chosen ones from the very beginning. This is the five episode recap for episodes 11 through 15, written by Melanie, edited and read by Jordan, owner of Lionhead Gaming and DM of Heroes of Thylia. Without further ado, let us now begin. The Oracle's Chosen awakened from a shared vision, with Sophia learning more about her ancestor from the unique extra moments she enjoyed. They discussed what they saw, wondering if the ghost ship, Ultros, was attainable, and what this strange contraption was that they all saw that seemed to help with navigation. They did one final count of the adolescents they gathered from the temple, having accounted for all of them and readied them all for a lengthy journey home. Inferia and Nyx spoke to the other Dryad and Satyr before leaving, getting a blessing from the old woods that they would not be harmed during their journey out. Sophia took a moment to look at the stump, theorizing that the Altros may have been constructed using the wood of the enchanted tree. She connected with her ancestor in this way. They were willing to do what was necessary, even if unfavorable, to ensure the Dragon Lord succeeded in their quest. They traveled until nightfall with the teenagers and hunkered down for the night. Thanks to Sophia's map, the travel back could be more direct. Nyx spent another night staring at her scroll, written by Azarios. She asked Sophia for a bit of advice. She wondered if she would find it bizarre, if being a long-lived creature, she would think it weird to read the writings of someone she once knew. Nyx revealed that she once knew this author that they were once lovers. She left her islands with him to start anew in Mitros, but when Azarios realized he'd been gone for decades, when it only felt like months on her island, he had trouble adjusting, and they parted ways. Sophia, in her most neutral way, pointed out that what was done has been done. Nyx can either continue wondering the rest of her life, or finally see for herself. With that bit of encouragement, Nyx opened the scroll. Contained within its dry length were a series of thoughts and questions, the philosophical musings of what a soul really was, and what the point of life was. Should one seek to make a mark in this world, and how large, or if such an attempt would even be worth it? The philosophical musings shifted to a discussion on worship of both the gods and titans, and then shifted to those like nymphs who can live for a thousand years, and if relationships were possible or even moral to pursue between the two. As the scroll's writings leaned to more towards the theme of death, he noted the gods' roles in life by way of magic and potion, but time itself could not be moved. It was an emotional read for Nyx who let tears quietly roll down her cheeks as she digested what felt to be his memoir. He thanked Sophia for taking over the watch for her, and the night went on. Before morning, Inferia began to have a dream. She was standing before a great tree and heard the voice of her grandmother speak to her. She advised the young dryad that she would need to grow and work on herself, much like how a tree must grow in the forest. Before leaving her to wake, she told Inferia her name was Maya, so that Inferia could feel like she really knew one of her relatives. 
The next day of travel continued to go well until everyone heard a cry for help within the woods. They rushed forward and found a man getting surrounded by woodwoods, sentinels of the forest. He asked for help, but Inferior inquired what he did to harm the woods so greatly that they attacked. He had stolen something important, and returning it was enough to calm the woods and send them on their way. No fighting required. He was hired by the Neurodagon family in Mitros to steal some artifacts from the forest. He was afraid for his safety if he were to return empty-handed. So Theamos offered an opportunity to hide out in Astoria under the protection of Pythor. And so he joined the returning group for the last length of their journey. They got back with four days to spare before the sacrifice by combat. A victory indeed. After sending the teens home, Sophia held up a paper in front of the party and explained how a map to the Mossy Temple could fetch a high price, but she realized she would want to hear if anyone objected. Inferia started to share her concern, and before she could even finish her sentence, Sophia burned the paper with magic. As everyone headed into town, they saw Kyra speaking to a minotaur by the name of Bartholomaios, played by Nikishi, who will be joining the party from this day forward. Sophia continued back to Davos's place to deliver the plant she harvested for him, and then she pulled out a scroll case and revealed to him the actual completed map of the Mossy Temple's path. Sophia discussed with Davos the procedure through which she could sell the map to the Mossy Temple. Having successfully deceived the party by making a show of how they felt about the venture and then burning a piece of parchment they presumed was the map itself when anyone showed any signs of discomfort. She also asked Davos if he could teach her alchemy. He agreed. Theamos took Evanetes, the man hired by the noble Neurodagon family, to Pythor to see if he could be held someplace safe, where the family couldn't find him after he failed to return with an artifact from the old woods. Pythor, looking much more cleaned up since they last saw each other, agreed that he could see about putting Evanethes up somewhere. With that piece of business out of the way, Theamos inquired where the Mithril Forge would be, since they had completed one of their great labors and wanted to think about the next one. The king happily explained it was up the Archelon River, and Vulcan may be able to explain even more. Pythor then invited his son to spar with him, and Theamos agreed. The rest of the party gathered at the Dragon's Tooth Inn to get to know more about Bartholomaios and where he fits within their odyssey. Bartholomaios was a minotaur, a descendant of the Myrmidons, a warrior legion of both settler races and natives of Thylea that aided the Dragon Lords in the First War. The elders of his tribe told him to seek out the Oracle, and when he did, she saw his thread woven along the same path as the other Chosen. Kyra joined the party later. After talking with Aesep the priest and record keeper of the Dragon Lords in Astoria, he gave permission to let the Oracle Chosen hang on to the Horn of Balmitria. Bartholomaios took a drink from it, having a different vision than everyone else. He was on the shore, where a ship was beached. Placing a hand upon it, he could hear a heartbeat within. Green light poured out from a hole in the wood and then healed itself. And when he peered into the ship from one of the gaps, he could see an eye looking back before the vision ended. Mercury later pulled Kyra outside to ask about Yavin, and gave her his father's ring 
in hopes that it would help her remember. She started to glow brightly and started to recall the people of Yavin and how they adored her, but when the glowing stopped, she didn't have any recollection of what she was just speaking about and gave Mercury back the ring. Since they returned with a couple days to spare, the party had some downtime. Theamos, Amphiria, and Atreus spent it sparring and getting their strength ready for the Day of Sacrifice. Nyx went to the families of the deceased boys and offered her services as a cleric to give them closure and prayer. The first family awkwardly agreed, feeling uncomfortable at the sight of her unnatural birthmark. She made sure to keep her arm covered for the rest. Sophia spent her time studying under Davos, in a race to retain something in time for the Day of Sacrifice. When that day came, the entire city was watching. Davos was prepared to place a bet on the Oracle's Chosen, having faith in their success. Sophia added to the pot, wanting to claim some winnings for herself. Even though Bartholomew was one of the Chosen, he was not in the original agreement when the terms were laid out, and was not allowed to join the party in this endeavor. He stood on the shore to watch along with Kyra, Pythor, and Princess Honora. The Sidon Acolytes began chaining the Chosen in pairs, with each chain going through a loop in the rod that was embedded in the Rock of Estor. Three sisterly harpies appeared at the top of the cliffs to witness the spectacle, servants of Lutheria. The creatures of Sidon swam toward the rock and leapt on top of it. Sidon's monster of choice? Basilisks. Sophia immediately melted the chains with acid, freeing everyone to fight unencumbered. Nyx quickly called upon the stars using her channel divinity, Prophetic Trance, to get roles that she could use in place of saves, checks, and attacks. But fighting these creatures proved to be a challenge. Mercury failed a save and found himself starting to get petrified. He focused his attacks on his foe while the other basilisk was slain by the rest of the party. The moment the second beast fell, Sidon conjured another, bigger than the first two, and was sure to end the so-called prophesized heroes. But Nyx, realizing the creature's eyes were the issue, cast blindness upon him. With the stars to aid her, the basilisk was forced to fail at save, having its eyes covered in a gloss of blackness and sparkling stars. This gave them the advantage they needed, and Theamos was able to finish him off. Astoria cheered as the oracle's chosen stood victoriously on the stone of Estor. After killing the basilisk that Sidon conjured to be their demise, Gaius and the Acolytes left in a harumph. Pythor, to celebrate, announced that he would throw a party at the palace. Fans immediately surrounded the Chosen when they walked back into town, and Sophia, uninterested in the attention, sought out Davos to get her winnings and tell him she wants the basilisk harvested. In the hours before the party, the Oracle's Chosen gathered at the Dragon's Tooth Inn for celebratory drinks as the city of Astoria began their own celebration. Vulcan joined and was introduced to the party by Amphiria. He was able to tell them about the Mithril Forge and how it was used by the Brightstone clan to create weapons and armor that the Dragonlords donned. If they wanted to reignite the forge, they needed to talk to Prometheus, a friend of his who lives slightly north of Astoria. He asked that they give him two days and they can all go together. They made their way to the party at the end of the day. Inferia ended up catching the eye of some men who flirted with her despite her obliviousness. Sophia asked Mercury to distract the guests with some music so she could set up something unnoticed. 
He obliged, drawing the attention of the entire palace. Sophia announced she was selling harvested basilisk parts to anyone who wanted to take home a piece of history. Nobility and wealthy Astorians were eager to pay top coin for a souvenir. Pythor closed the party by making a grand announcement. The oracles chosen would be granted patronage of Astoria. They would hold the title Heroes of Astoria and be able to live aristocratically to show gratitude for them saving Princess Honora from being sacrificed to Sidon. Corinna's father approached Theomos to thank him for bringing his daughter back safely, going so far as to give him a family heirloom, a javelin once used by Phobos, the dragon lord. Two days later, as planned, the oracle's chosen met with Vulcan in his workshop. He surprised the oracle's chosen with a gift to every martially inclined and well-trained member of the oracle's chosen. Nyx, Inferia, Atreus, Bartholomaios, and Theamos were all given new armor that would benefit them in their future encounters. Though, of course, Theamos, being his grandson, was given a special set of armor, magically empowered to aid in his defense. The Oracles Chosen were spending the day getting prepared for their travel north to speak with Prometheus about the Mythal Forge and how to relight it. Inferia and Sophia did some quick shopping in the Agora while Theamos purchased some silver bands. He presented one to Atreus by proposing to him as a joke, but quickly explained that the rings would connect him for the warding bond spell. Atreus begrudgingly accepted, and Theamos gave another one to Nyx, realizing she found herself in tough situations quite often, or the tough situations found her. The Oracle's Chosen set out with Vulcan to the suburbs of Astoria, where they strolled up to a nice house being tended to by Keladons, constructs created by Vulcan as a gift to his wife, Mitros. Prometheus welcomed the group in and sat around the kitchen table as he recounted the last moments before the Brightstone clan retreated from their home in the Mithril Mountains. Lutheria had conjured up a heinous hound known as the Cerberus, which was strong enough to defeat a dragon. He believed the creature still resides within the forge and guards it. The path to the forge itself is now an abandoned trail that would lead them all the way towards the citadel, but Prometheus suggested taking a secret path instead to enter the forges directly. He talked them through their journey, telling them to be on the lookout for stone hands rising from the ground, and that the four-fingered hand would be their key in navigating to their destination. Sophia was sure to mark down the instructions in great detail, as well as mark on her map where to expect specific landmarks. When it came to the matter of reigniting the forge itself, it was as simple as utilizing two keys that the Oracle's Chosen could find within the forge. However, in order to craft items, Vulcan would be needing some assistance. There was a forge keeper who once helped them during the age of the Dragon Lords. She was bound by oath to stay within the forges, but that oath was coming to an end, and she could very well decide to go back to her plane of existence if she preferred. Along with convincing her to give one of the keys of the forge, it would also be in their best interest to convince her to stay and continue being Vulcan's apprentice. Prometheus did warn, however, that she was a temperamental creature, but perhaps she could be persuaded with gifts. The second key may be in Chris Strax's lair. 
He was the crystal dragon of the Citadel, their king. He disappeared during the battle against the Cerberus, but Prometheus thought if he could be found anywhere, it would be in his lair near the forge. Before they left, Prometheus invited the Oracle's Chosen to walk with him in his yard and made a request of them. Many dwarves had fallen in those forges, and none of them had been given a proper resting place due to the circumstances. While they were there, he asked that they be on the lookout for skulls and remains of his companions to bring them back to his home for a proper burial. And finally, he passed along a phrase that the Brightstone clan knew, which helped in uniting them within the forge. When in doubt, trust the dragon spoken in Dwarvish. With this knowledge in mind, the Oracle's Chosen went back to Astoria to better prepare for their trip to the Forge. Theomos confronted his dad on the Forge Keeper. From his conversation with Prometheus, it seems that Pythor had his own personal run-in with the fiery being. Pythor recounted his experience of passion, not quite what Theomos wanted to hear, so perhaps it would be better to not let the Forge Keeper know they were related, lest there be any hard feelings. After six days of preparations, the Oracle's Chosen set out on the road to the Mithril Mines. After leaving Astoria, however, they saw a dragon fly over with a rider wearing a cape in Sidon's colors. The dragon itself spoke to the Chosen, telling them their triumphs would be futile against the Twin Titans. Immediately thereafter, a small army of centaurs charged forth, arrows notched and aimed directly at the prophetic heroes. Nyx pulled out her short bow and began firing arrows at the incoming force. Thankfully, they were a good enough distance away for everyone else to buff, position themselves, and set up defenses. Sophia quickly took cover behind a rock formation where she could safely cast her magic to avoid getting targeted by the enemy. Theomos put his warding bond to immediate use and protected Nyx as a couple centaurs she hit targeted her while, she, while he was holding the front lines towards the south. Bartholomaios charged in and took on a centaur all on his own, while Inferia flung chakrams to take out to those towards the back. And Mercury, safe in the air, held up aloft by his mighty blue wings, was able to help his friends casting magic at any stragglers or would-be assailants. Bartholomaios, Atreus, and Theomos regrouped towards the end of the fight and finished off the final centaur, showing Sidon once again what the Oracle's Chosen were capable of. After the centaurs were cleared out, the Oracle's Chosen continued their travel towards the Mithril Forge, stopping by a sort of ruins to rest for the night. Nyx was able to identify a few symbols in those ruins as those for titans, not the five gods. Thylea, Kentamane, and one other she did not recognize. It was a three-pointed star and she would need to research it in Mitros. Sophia went over the details of the Mithril Mine so they could come up with a plan when they arrive. The Cerberus was the most concerning component in the whole quest. Knowing they would not be strong enough to fight it, they planned to lure the creature away from the forge and then cause a cave-in so it could be locked out. Then they could hopefully convince the forge keeper to give them the key and acquire the key from Kristrax's lair. With the plan in place, the party rested comfortably close within a tiny hut spell cast by Sophia. 
The next day, they found another obstacle in their journey. A rushing wide river without a bridge to cross over it. Bartholomew saw a fallen tree on the other side and took a chance to leap across. Step by step, trudging forward against the powerful flow, he was eventually able to make it across. Mercury had no problems with his wings allowing him to fly, but it was up to the rest of them to come up with a way. Bartholomew, reaching the other side of the river, dragged the fallen tree into it, extending it halfway across. Nyx pulled out some rope and asked the Minotaur to tie one end of it to the tree while she tried to use it to help her across. It actually went pretty well until she felt a pain surge up her arm, forcing her to let go. As she started to flow down the river, Atreus leapt into the rushing waters, able to grab a hold of her. Theamos and Emphiria threw another length of rope to them and helped them across. For a split second, Nyx saw a pale blue flame taunt her over the long twine of the rope, as though to snap it. But it quickly snuffed itself out instead of furthering her doom. They took Nyx's original idea and modified it to prevent the risk of another person getting swept off into the water. Using Sophia's invisible servant, their equipment was ushered across, and Mercury hovered above whoever was using the rope to cross the river, eventually managing to get everyone across safely. Sophia instructed their horse handler, Menaeus, to take the horses back to the ruins and wait there for several days. If they didn't return after a week, he was instructed to go back to Astoria. The rest of their travel went unimpeded, and they were able to find the stone hands jutting up from the ground as Prometheus had told them. From there, they found the secret path towards the mines and find themselves walking along the sides of a cave before a couple of troglodytes saw the approaching heroes. They were dealt with quickly, allowing for the group to enter into the cave, into the secret entrance into the Mithril Forge, relatively uninterrupted and undiscovered. But as they snuck into the entrance tunnel, the darkness closing in around them, another set of yellow eyes saw them from the darkness, another troglodyte. And as it called out in a horrid, smelly screech, the entire nest was alerted to their intrusion. But that is where we end this recounting of Heroes of Thylea. You'll have to tune in next time for another recap for episodes 16 through 20, or continue with the long-form version on the podcast as well. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, may your dice roll 20s, and you always make your saves.